This is a Story Garden co-production, a media production company where we strive to tell community-driven stories in the heart of the Texas Hill Country in Kerrville, Texas. We would like to thank the Kerr County Lead for sponsoring and assisting in this production. You can check out Story Garden Co. on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Now, to the show. To how we do it a podcast where we as women answer the question how we do it hi i'm your host allison amistoy joined with katherine boyette hello hello as we ask prominent female leaders here in kirk county about their careers successes and struggles and inspiration for the future we hope you enjoy today's conversation on today's episode we talk with the kerr arts and cultural center executive director londa teague Lanza was awesome. She was. I loved our conversation with her. I feel like I could have talked to her for like another hour. Honestly, she. we talked about um, body positivity. We talked about... Um, the history alone. The like history. She knows so many stories about early Kerrville. There's, there's a lot. We needed to have her back on the show. I would love to have her back on. We went from like art and then... Well, I don't want to give everything away. Yeah, I know. But, but she was super awesome, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Yes. So we hope that you guys enjoyed this conversation with Lanza Teague as much as we did. And with that, here you go. Hi, everyone. My name is Allison Amistoy, and I own a production company called Story Garden Company. Um, and we're expanding and bringing in a new podcast slash video production aspect um, we're going to call Storycast and this is called How We Do It. Um, it's a passion project um, by my dear friend here, Catherine Boyette. Hey everybody. And so we're just going to talk with local women here in Kerrville, which is in the heart of the hill country in Texas. And we're just going to talk about um, women's stories and um, kind of how women do it. How we do it. How we're we boss babes. Yes, we are. <laughs> Allison's being really modest. She's an amazing videographer and photographer and helping to share and curate stories here in the community. She's done a lot with the Doyle community already, and I was super eager and excited to collaborate with her. This project kind of just came out of both feeling like there was a space for sharing women's stories in Kerrville and wanting to know our history and also you know, how we can all keep moving forward together. Um, mm. I know I've shared a lot of stories with other women in business, uh, their struggles, their triumphs, their successes, you know, uh, if they're from here. And I just felt like it was time to kind of give a voice to it. Yeah. So today on the first little 
story cast we have uh lonza teague and she is the executive director of um the kerr county arts and cultural center it's the kerr arts and cultural center right yeah. sorry everybody gets it wrong <laughs> this is our first episode and we wanted to have a really special guest oh well thank you that's an honor so i've collaborated with lonza before on a history project and thought that she was just a wealth of information and knowledge about our Kerrville history, and she's doing amazing things at Kerr Arts and Cultural Center. There's a really great show, actually, uh, that's about four different women and four different types of medians right now in the Blanton Gallery. Yep. If y'all get a chance to stop by, definitely check it out. And I know you have more sh stories to share about what's going on over there, too. Can I ask a first question? Yeah, go right ahead. So, and this is really just long form discussion. We're just kind of seeing Great. where things lead us and uh, just wanna have a good conversation. But why, one of the things why we wanted to have you on is because you are a great storyteller. Oh, thanks. And I wanted to ask why storytelling was kind of important to you. I think I was kind of born into it. Um, when I was a kid, I would make up stories. Um, I think I even told um, a family member uh, as an excuse not to go home that we couldn't go home because my parents were in jail long story <laughs> but wow. I, I think I've always had a storytelling gift or a need to tell a story about things by the way my parents have never been in jail <laughs> That's uh, good. but yes um, but then I was uh, I had an aunt who was born here in Kerrville in 1907 and what she, was her name for those her name was know. her name was Annabelle Roland okay um, her maiden name was Council. Um, the Councils came here in 1890. And C I L or S E L? C O U N C I L. So, I'm a terrible speller. And so. there's there's still a few Councils in the area, but not many. They they didn't they weren't very prolific. But uh, my aunt, when my my father moved around a lot, we were um, we moved around like the military. Apparently, men in advertising do that. Women too, I imagine. So, <laughs> yeah. but. Um, we moved around, so every four or five years, we'd be starting up in a new town, and I didn't have a real sense of my roots uh, until one day on a wintry um, highway, my mom got into a wreck with all of us kids in the car mm -hmm. and from black ice, and she said, that does it, kids. We're going back to God's country. So she drug us all back to her hometown of Kerrville, <laughs> and I didn't really... And this was her... A sister was her, Annabelle? Her half-sister, yes. Okay. Wow. Um, and this was like, what time period were we talking? Okay, so... Like how old were you? I was and like, what probably, generation are we Let's in? see, I was in my sophomore year of high school. Okay. Uh, we came back here, and so that would have been 1983. Okay. The year, mm -hmm. the year, okay, my mom said it would never snow in God's, or it doesn't ever snow in God's country, and that was the year that Kerrville got the 13-inch snow. Oh. <laughs> so it's our fault that it snowed because my mom said it never did that. And who uh, did, so who <laughs> was president then? Oh, uh, president. Let's see. Would that Reagan. Reagan. That's what I figured. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Just gives us just, a, like, cultural yes. context there. Um, just to give a little more context, there's a big difference in age between my mom and my aunt. My oh. aunt was born in 1907 but my grandfather had three families 16 years apart. He outlived two wives, and my mom was the product of the third marriage, and oh, my grandmother outlived my grandfather. So <clears throat> that's where that came from. But anyway, getting to know my aunt after moving here, she gave me a, a real appreciation for not just family history, but for Kerrville history, 
and she even wrote an unpublished um, history of Kerrville. Oh, wow. So I read that, and it was real interesting, and she always, tell, you know, she always tempted me with these stories that she would tell, but she wouldn't tell, she had a lot of dirt on people, but she wouldn't tell them if somebody was still alive that was in a particular family, or if somebody would be a, um, affected by that story. Wow. So there's a lot of Kerrville history I never learned from her because <laughs> So storytelling is in your family and she's yes. in your blood. Yeah, my, really creative. Yeah, too. my dad was a very outgoing, boisterous person who was very musical and talented performer as well. So I, I guess I came by it naturally. I never thought I had um, the talent for performing hmm. uh, until I got really involved over at the point. And I always had a want to get on stage and act and perform and sing and I didn't think I could sing I found out I could sing I didn't know I could I really I, I didn't realize until I got up on stage that I never got stage fright mm -hmm. so one thing led to another and here I am it's <laughs> so wow. it's interesting because it's such a part of your family mm -hmm. lineage and maybe not like formal theater right. training or formal storytellers right. but you know, it was there and you were certainly exposed to it. And right. so it's interesting that you didn't think you could do it when it was so a part of your family, you know? Right. Well, you know, my mom, um, she, was an, she was a math teacher and she got in front of people and talked all the time, but she's fairly shy. You know, she's fairly introverted and shy and that's the parent who raised me. So I didn't really believe that I had You identified those, more with her. Yeah, I identified more with her. I knew her better. So I didn't really believe I had those kind of skills in my wheelhouse. <laughs> so I think it's really interesting about the things that we tell ourselves yeah. about what we think we can do or who we think we are and yeah. how that informs our identity and like yeah. how fluid our identity really is until we have an experience that maybe changes all of it. Yeah, yeah and, for sure. Um, I don't know, I'm really well, glad that you've gotten involved. And I think a big step for me, I didn't really blossom until I was like in my late 30s, early 40s. Mm -hmm. You know, I I was a nerd in, in school and was picked on and bullied and all of that stuff. And then when we moved to Texas, it changed a little bit. I had a better group of friends. I wasn't picked on as much here. Where we were living before, the schools tended to be a little more cliquish. Um, I happened to move into the Ingram School District where at that time, and I don't know if it's still the same way, where we had the very wealthy kids who were coming in from Hunt that were interacting with the kids who were living in these, in, you know, in ramshackle houses in Ingram, and they were all friends and they got along. So that helped me find a little bit of myself, but I never really believed in myself until later in my life. And I realized once you pull yourself away from other people's opinions of what your abilities are, or your preconceived notions and just have an open mind about yourself, you can pretty you can accomplish some pretty amazing things. Yeah. So that's awesome. Well, awesome. to you that like like uh, opens up so many more things I want to ask you. Yeah. And thank you so much for <laughs> sure. just like diving right in. But um, I saw that you were a glass artist. Yes. Is I that am. right? So yeah. talking about doing things that are different and I don't know any glass right. artists, how did you get into that? Well, uh, my husband and I were both Renaissance Fair performers at the time. Okay. That's and, cool. Yeah. And we were managing a campground for Renaissance um, performers and vendors. So we were kind of in charge of that. I was living in a fifth wheel trailer at the time. And uh, 
I, my husband and I, for some reason, went to Hobby Lobby. I can't remember what it was we were there for. But he went off to go look for whatever it was he was looking for, and I just started, because it's a world of wonders in Hobby Lobby. This and is any, true. Any craft store, you <laughs> look and you see things on the shelf. Well, I came across this book on glass yeah. artistry, and um, the kind of work that I do is blowing glass over a torch. Okay. So it's small-scale yeah. stuff, beads and vessels and ornaments and things. But you actually, like, use a torch. I use a torch. Wow. And I do actual blowing. I don't use a glass. Uh, I don't use a big steel rod like the, the guys on oh, use okay. the big forges. Okay. I use a small stainless steel tube to blow the glass. Interesting. Um, but that all started from me falling in love with this book and buying just really cheap materials and starting to blow glass under a shade tree out at the campground. When wow. everybody else was doing their thing, I was just kind of learning the glass art. Well, it seems like it was kind of, uh, you could do it anywhere. And your yes. materials were fairly small, yeah. and you were mobile, right? So it kind of and seemed I, and affordable in terms of you know sometimes buying art supplies, but all of a sudden yeah. they can really add up. Well, and when you get into the more expensive, because what started, I mean, I started over literally a blowtorch. So you have your little canister of gas and the little torch head, and you turn that on, and then you blow. Well, you're I was learning beads and small shaped objects at that time, and. Um, that's when I learned, you know, those cheap materials that you get, they're great to learn on, but you have to grow, in order to grow your art, you have to grow your studio as well. And so the torch got bigger over time, and then it realized <laughs> outdoor torching is not a great idea. It leaves yeah. you, uh, people, it, you turn that torch on and people are like drawn to you. And so, yeah. especially in a Renaissance Fair community where, you know, everybody on the street is a performer, artist of some type, you just end up with people, hey, what are you doing? What is that? So you need walls it's around the yourself. the fire. Yeah. Yeah, the fire draws them in. And then, you know, you realize it, it makes your beads and glasswork more stable if you anneal them in a kiln. So you learn about that. And then you learn about thermal shock. So if the day's a little cool and you don't keep the glass in the torch, it'll shock and blow apart. So it was a learning process. But if yeah. I'd been afraid of molten glass, uh, I probably never would have. For some reason, the drama and the fire and everything just kind of drew me in. And it was yeah. kind of a performance yeah. aspect to it. And I love the idea that, like, once again, we we're talking about earlier, like, you know, wasn't something that was a part of your identity or that you had even thought you could do. No. You were, we were pretty shy and quiet, and here you are, like, using a blowtorch. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, there has to be something, like you said, in your inside you that was, like, you know, if I put my mind to it, I can do yeah. it. You, were, well, you were attracted to the fire. Yeah, it was the fire. <laughs> uh, I, I've, I've just learned through life not to limit myself. You know, if something uh, draws my interest, just go for it and try it out. And if you fail, you fail. Mm -hmm. It's not a judgment on you. It just means it's either a learning experience and you improve on it, or you move on to something else and find something else that's more fun to do or something that interests you as well. That's why I've got so many darn hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> the glass artistry and the upholstery and all this stuff. I've got, I yeah, do all kinds yeah, of things. Yeah, because when I met you, I knew you as like a costumer, seamstress, yep. doing all of that. And yeah. then could you share with everyone who may not be familiar what HGAF, the Hill Country Arts Foundation, oh, yeah. is in the um, point? The Hill Country Arts Foundation is a place I worked. Um, I left the Arts and Cultural Center for a while and went to work for them. And they are a campus that's devoted to both the visual and the performing arts. 
And um, they have an outdoor stage and they have this beautiful gallery and it's all on this riverfront front property. And it's just a really nice, it's a sweet place to learn and create and grow. Um, and I got in there as a, as a costumer because I made the mistake, it wasn't really a mistake, but I, it's I, a, I've seen the costume ship there. Yeah, it's huge. It's, it's huge. <laughs> wow. Well, I happened to mention to somebody, Jeff Cunningham, who at that time uh, was the director of theater. I can't remember what his actual title was. I don't think it was director of theater. Doesn't matter. He was working there and uh, he overheard me saying that I can sew. And at that point, he's like, wait a minute, you sew? Do you need clothes? <laughs> and I said, yeah. And he says, well, I, we are in a pinch. We have uh, a lady who's had to step down due to, or no, they actually had a cast member pass away. Mm. Oh. And they had an understudy who stepped into her place. She was an unusual size, so they didn't have anything up in the costume shop that would fit her. Yeah. And he said, can you make us two dresses for her, her scenes? And I said, sure. And he told me the time period. I was like, oh, 1940s and 50s? Yeah, that's my thing. And then I asked him, well, when do you need them? And he says, can you get them done by Friday? And it was like Wednesday. And I was like, oh, gosh. Um, sure. So I was up all night long. I made these costumes, got them to the point, And from there on, I was costuming. They're like, you're really valuable. <laughs> You've come at the right like, place yeah. at the right time. Yeah. There's a lot of time. That's how a lot of the things that have happened yeah. in my life. I've just happened to be in the right place and open at the right particular time. Well, it seems like you have this attitude of like, go for it. Yeah. Let's try it. Have yeah. fun. See what happens. Well, and my, my husband, not my husband, my brother tells me I have uh, in a, a resume that's more interesting than the guy from the Dos Equis ads. He says, you've done everything. <laughs> the world's most interesting yeah. thing. Oh my God. Yeah. Dos Equis, you should sponsor us. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, please. please do. <laughs> this video is sponsored by Dos Equis. So, <laughs> so, uh, so many things just came out of that too. And like, I don't know uh, if you want to say, if chime in, Allison, but uh. when you were talking about that uh, you were costuming for people, I was interested about how that intersects with your um, curiosity about like body, body positivity. And yeah, I definitely sure. wanted to touch on that. I know your health was important to you. Oh, yeah. And kind of sharing some of your journey about that. Yeah, my health has been a big issue for me probably from day one. And my body image has been a big deal. Yeah. Uh, when I was in elementary, I think I got it in my head. And I wasn't fat, but I got it in my head that I was fat and ugly. And um, of course, not you know, true. Beautiful. Well, well, thank you. But yeah, I know. when uh, and I wasn't I was a skinny little long legged kid. And here I was thinking I was fat. And uh, of course, you know, elementary school kids are brutal to each other. It's it's law of the jungle and kids will say cruel things. Yeah, um, I think one of the most important things that probably young kids should learn or people should learn as young as is that people's opinions of you are not a definition of you. They say more about that person than they do about you. Yeah. And you yeah. shouldn't let what somebody else says about you affect you as deeply as we, we tend to do. And it took me a lifetime. Like I said, it took me until my 30s and 40s it's before hard. I really started. Yeah. It's but, hard. Yeah. I mean, it's easier said than done. Right. And you know? I, I'm pretty sure I flirted with all kinds of eating issues when I was in high school. I don't think I was ever really heavy in high school, but I thought I was. And... You know, I fought with that. And then I really did, you know, in my 20s, I wasted most of my 20s obese. I was fat. I, my self-image of myself 
became self-defining. I believed I was fat, therefore I became fat. The and messages yes, that other people told and, you. And uh, I'm not slim now, uh, but at one point in my life, I was weighed over probably 350 pounds. Wow. And uh, when I was working in the Renaissance fairs, yeah, your body's a big thing because you're placed up in that winch bodice and you got the boobs <laughs> up to here. And, yeah. and um, you know, you want to be thin. You want to have that hourglass figure and, and all Why? of that. Why? It's well, just part of the culture of Ren because, Fair? Yeah, well, in Ren, when, when you're in your Ren Fair costume, you know, the costumes can be very form-fitting with the tights and everything. And I wanted to be, you know, I, I wanted to be the pretty girl. I didn't want to be you know, the funny person who's dressed up like a mud winch or something like that, or yeah. mud witch, mm. you know, which now I think I'd probably have more fun with. But yeah. I, I really wanted to, I wanted to be beautiful. I wanted to be alluring. The ingenue. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, here I was 25 years old and dressing inappropriate for my age. But anyway, mm -hmm. that that's a whole nother thing. Um, but I, I got into costuming because I've always enjoyed sewing. And so I got into costuming myself, and then I got into costuming other people. And that's how I got into costuming. And the whole thing with the point wasn't even related to the stuff at the Renaissance Fair that I did. It just happened again. You know, yeah. I, I have that talent. Somebody found out I have that talent. And it's like, we need you. And, oh, sure. I do, do really it. appreciate yeah. you sharing. Well, I think that, you know, as women, we still talk about our image and our perception yeah. of other people and, you know, why it matters. So why is there so much of an emphasis about how we look and how others perceive right. how we look? And, yeah. you know, we're told, I mean, we're still told, like, how we dress matters, what we look matters. And, you know, what is like, you know, just figuring out what all of that means, as, especially when I was early on in my career, you know, mm. um, you know, it's hard. And so yeah. I appreciate you sharing about, about it as well. You know, I, my experience was more of like, I was short and I look younger than I am. And so all those messages right. about, are like, you know, in the boardroom about that things yeah. that are overt versus covert things that people would say yeah and i think we've come a long way oh yeah but i, I, I think that we have more to more to go yeah. you know yeah i always kind of grew up with just these kind of mixed messages from like different aspects because like my church would be like oh you should you know modest is hottest and you know you like praise mod like being modest and whatever but, but what does that mean yeah yeah and then like we would go to like i would have like a bible study that was like by the pool we would go to the beach i lived in california so we can do that but like we would go to the beach and would have like summer camp and all the girls we were we were kind of forced to wear t-shirts and all oh, the boys can shirts, yeah. yeah and all the boys can just wear shirtless yeah it can mm -hmm. be shirtless and i'm like what's the difference and then i would be the one who would get dress coded for like showing my bra straps maybe accidentally because they fall off sometimes and mm -hmm. I and well, I, we still it see it in media today yeah you know about people being lauded or not mm -hmm. you know look at my you know look at Kim Kardashian you know people say like stay in your <laughs> yeah. lane yeah. stay in your lane you can't be a lawyer you can't be a lawyer and be beautiful and proud of your body or she says she talks about how like you know she's over 40 and she's like should I still be posting pictures like this should I not so it's not like there's a clear line for all of us. No. And then, like, for, for me, I've always just been like, okay, so I will draw the modesty line and then just kind of play with that um, for – just play with that. Mm -hmm. So, like, I dressed modestly and made sure I didn't show myself and whatever. And then I was dealing with 
a little bit of body issues my freshman year of college that w- and I lost like a lot of weight it was mm. a rough time and everyone when I came home almost everybody noticed and I was like no you're not supposed to notice I'm yeah. try- I'm, I've been trying to hide it well forever and, yeah. and why are you noticing now so they were making comments yeah like they're like oh you lost weight and because like you can see it and if like if I gain weight you can see it in my face and then if I lose it didn't yeah like everything's in my face and so my face was a little bit thinner and everybody was just like be okay you you lose weight and I'm like yeah sorry you're unusual because most of us gain weight when we go up to college yeah it was <laughs> so. It was weird because everybody, yeah, can my other, my, my friend who was a guy, he gained, like, he did, he did the freshman 15. I did the lose the so 15. So he found your 15. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I just think the whole thing is, like, we should, I'm just glad that we can talk about it and find yeah. ways to move the conversation well, forward about. Yeah. Yeah, and I've been on both sides of it. I've, I've been very heavy, and I've been that person that people didn't have a lot of, faith in me because they saw me as really heavy and I I literally and then one year of my life I lost 120 pounds more than that when I started measuring I lost 120 pounds I looked good I felt great I'm on my way back there Um, but um, I've heard I've heard everything that could possibly be said to somebody about their body image I've heard people say, well, you know, I was watching Oprah the other day, and they were talking about how heavy women who lose a lot of weight become alcoholics. Don't become an alcoholic. Be very careful. You know, or... Crazy How are the two related? Well, what would you say to young women today who are, you know, a takeaway for them since you've heard it all and seen it all? Don't sweat it so much. Don't worry about your body as much. And I still do. I still... I'm not happy with the weight I'm at right now, but I'm working on it. I know weight is something that can change. You know, I've proven it to myself that I can lose that weight. I am still exercising. I feel like I'm in pretty good health. And I, you know, I'm just, I just be here to have fun and do things for yourself. Not be totally self-centered because that causes other problems too. You know, be there for other people. But don't be so wrapped up in what other people are thinking about you because nine times out of 10, those people really aren't. They're, they're wrapped up in their own issues. You know, I've seen so many people, uh, women particularly, who are like from like 35 and younger, who are so wrapped up in their anxieties and their fears. Yeah. And I look at them and go, life is a gift, enjoy it. Go out and have that adventure. Don't sit there and wait, well, once I get all my ducks in a row, I'll have this business. Start working on it now, focus on what you wanna do. Stop worrying about what the boyfriend says, because if, if he's criticizing you all the time, he's probably somebody you don't need to be with. You know, if you've got a best friend who makes you feel like the pretty girl's fat friend, then you don't need to be that person's friend. You don't miss them when you don't have that friendship anymore. Believe me, I know. <laughs> I've had several of those. Oh um, sometimes you're just better off just, just being in the moment, enjoying your life as it is now, Stop worrying about your ugly toes or something that doesn't matter to anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. If if your weight is an issue and it it is threatening your health, then yes, you should take care of it. Because I can tell you, when you're really heavy like I was, there are some health problems that come with it. And um, it's okay to be comfortable in your own skin, but you really want to be comfortable in your own skin. You want to be healthy. You want to be there for your family. You want to be there 
to show up for the adventures you want to have. You know, don't get married too early. Also, that's another <laughs> mistake I can tell you. Don't rush into it. We should sidebar. Can yeah. we go back and like editing? So this might be like all, a trigger yeah. warning. All the mistakes I made yeah. in my life had to do with my body image and how I felt about myself as a person. Getting married at 19 was probably one of the biggest mistakes I ever made in my life. Hmm. But I thought I knew everything and I thought I was smarter than everyone else in the room. I should have been out seeing the world and, and getting the experiences I'm having now with older knees. You know, I, I, you know if I had those young knees again, boy. <laughs> I, could get a, I don't know, I you're doing, doing all right, Lonza. You're doing all right. You're doing really well. Yeah, Thanks. like, I had a question I'm for impressed. you. Sure. About uh, who do you think is, in your opinion, Kerrville's most interesting woman in history? In history, I'd have to say it was Florence Butt. Okay, so tell us um, about yes, tell us. Um, one of the things I've started doing is researching the T-zone of downtown, the Main Street, Earl Garrett intersection, and right in that area. And of course, Florence Butt's first store was right there on, on Main Street. And uh, this includes Water Street as well. And um, as I've been researching for these downtown history tours that I'm giving, I've learned more about her. You know, you know oh, she founded the H-E-B food store. Well, she came here with very little, and a, a husband and a child who were both sick with tuberculosis. Yeah. And so, was this was the sanatorium, the TB hospital, yeah, already here? Yes, and Kerrville, they came because yeah, of it. They came to Kerrville because of the climate back in the early 1900s and 18, late 1800s when TB was such an issue. Um, Kerrville was considered a healthy place. Mostly, yeah. Yeah, I've always wondered that because I've heard that before. Not just about Kerrville, but like, oh, that you know, people went to the hot, and Arkansas oh, tuberculosis hospital. Yeah. So, is it something to do with the air quality uh, or being near the of. river, or like, it, what it, is special? It about? has to do with the climate. If you're able, because one of the ways they treated t TB patients was they left the windows open. So you were uh, always breathing fresh air. You weren't cooped up in a closed room. Okay. So when the fresh air was coming in, you'd want it to come in all year round. So our our winters are pretty mild. So yeah. that's why why we were considered a healthy place to come. If you had a, a member with some lung issues and breathing issues, okay. in spite of the cedar, they still you know they saw this as a healthy place to live if you were having those yeah, issues that makes sense so where did they come from they came from i believe it was tennessee we got a lot of people from the tennessee area i have it in my notes i don't have it right off the top of my head sure. but she came with a husband who was really really sick a son who was really sick and they moved into the store and uh they lived on this the top floor and they ran the store on the first floor and all they, all they had when they started is when they moved into this building, they found a Bible on the shelf. And she read from that Bible before opening business every day. And that was where she drew her inspiration. And she leaned on her faith to get her through what must have been, she's moved into a place where there was no family. She didn't know anyone. All, she had a sick, she had sick members of her family and came here and started a store. And women yeah. really didn't work like they that They didn't, then. that was in 1905. So mm -hmm. women were wow. still wearing corsets and you know the long skirts at that time. Yeah. And they also, men were seen as the head of the household. And so it was very unusual for a woman to break that mold, start a business. And not only that, but her, her grocery stores grew, as uh, her business grew. Um, her sons and a lot of the neighborhood boys would rush home after school, 
load up the groceries in their little red wagons and deliver them out to people in the neighborhoods. And then when she finally got into, she moved onto a building in, I believe it was on Earl Garrett, it's the, the Masonic building that's still yeah. there. Yeah, that's what Giles designed yeah, it. Yeah, that was, that was her second location. That was, and I always laugh about this when I'm giving the tours because it had the, the unfortunate name of the Florence Butt Sanitary Grocery which sounds really terrible in these days, but I'm sure it meant something else then. It said what but, it was. Yeah, it said what it was. It was clean and everything, and they were still doing deliveries then. Um, when they moved over to where this, uh, not the Slate Gray Gallery, where um, Fitch Estate Sales is now, mm -hmm. yeah. that's when the Sun started running the grocery store, and it became the HEB. It would start out, oops, pardon me, as a Piggly Wiggly, and then um, it, it was a first. It was a ca the first cash and carry store in Kerrville. Okay. So, so whereas, so instead of mean? get all the kids getting their little wagons and delivering them out to the neighborhoods, people came in, paid cash for their groceries, and took them home with them. Um, so basically, it the back, modern grocery store. Right back when Florence was running it, it was you. You'd place your order. You'd come by the store, place curbside. your order. Yeah. yeah, it was the early curbside. <laughs> now we've gone back to it. Or, we've you know, no, actually, it was DoorDash. <laughs> so, we've gone back so, to the good old days. Yeah, so that's, um, but she inspires me because, man, a lot of women in that position, even now, if, if they were, uh, if they were dealt with us, you know, they were given a sick family, no income, nowhere to live, how many women would have gone to a, a strange community and just started a Brand business? New. Yeah. And from what I understand from people who knew her, she was a really tough lady. You know, she was she had an iron backbone, from what I understand. <laughs> Some Dang. of the kids were scared of her, <laughs> but but she was she had to be tough. And her husband died five years after they got ten years after they got here. Oh, so wow. she was a single mom after that. You know, as you said that, it like spurred a like natural question in my mm -hmm. head about like what people say about women mm -hmm. and like you know she people she was tough and yeah. it was it like she was this like iron fist business person or right. was she just so different than what the women of that day or mm -hmm. typically looked like yeah. you know or c how they conducted themselves because there was a whole different way and you know societal rules about mm -hmm. How, you know, she well, yeah, did they she, say she was tough just because she like spoke? She, up? Would, yeah. <laughs> she would have to be. Uh, Kerrville was a pretty rough and tumble town in the early days. Um, there, there's stories about you know, uh, you and really, I have talked, but everyone yeah. who's listening might not know. No, so yeah. like, there, there have been some crazy murders downtown or in the early days. There Ooh. have been some strange forms of justice downtown. It was very much. Whereas Fredericksburg and Comfort were pretty much genteel and settled by Germans, we were a frontier cattle town. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we were mostly a men-oriented society here. And Captain Schreiner, you know, he brought his business here, and that's what started to, to make us grow and become more metropolitan. But really, up until about the 1920s, this place was pretty rough. And you know that people talk about, oh, why didn't we save all of these old buildings? Well, if you look at the old pictures of Kerrville, there's really not anything there worth saving. The things we have are the things that were worth saving. And people talk about the Blue Bonnet Hotel; it wasn't built so it could be air conditioned. So who yeah. wants to stay in an unair conditioned hotel? They were they weren't made out of stone. <laughs> right. A lot of those early buildings were like clapboard. Yeah, they were clapboard. They were slapped together. You know. 
Kerrville, when it started to grow, grew very fast because of the cattle trains that were coming through here. You know, the, the cowboys would come in dirty off the trail. They would go and take a shower or a bath over at the favorite saloon or <laughs> the Weston like Saloon. Almost like a mining town. Yeah, yeah. You're you, describing, yeah you know? it, it was. It was very much uh, an mm -hmm. industry-oriented town, but it was rough industry. And you know, mills eventually moved in. The shingles yeah. uh, were here early on, but that was very much a male. You know, those were male men in camps making shingles. So if you're a woman coming to this town in 1905, and you know the town had just been, the town hadn't even been incorporated that long. It was like, I think we became a city in 1889. Yeah. So if you think about that, that's like a matter of like 20, 30 years that Kerrville's been a town. And it was still very much a rough and tumble livestock and- Women couldn't yeah. vote at that time. Women, Women couldn't, couldn't vote, property, yeah. but I oh my think. gosh, she made it work somehow. You know, she, she came in here, she started a business, um, and I think she probably had to be pretty tough and so that people wouldn't take advantage of her. You know, you want to think of women in their corsets and their frilly clothes and, you know, um, on their chaise lounges and in those times just being really gentle creatures who, you know, read Mark she Twain. But, <laughs> but that's not, I, if, you're, if you're running a business, and I've come across several tough women in Kerrville's history, but she's the one who came straight to mind at the beginning because she, she came into a bunch of unknowns right away. And yeah. she's arguably, like when you really talk about the most, uh, the woman who maybe had the biggest impact mm -hmm. in terms of now H-E-B and its grocery store in Texas yeah. and Mexico and, you know, its foundation and what it does in philanthropy and, I mean, obviously. Yeah. There's just so much. There's just so much added it to it. started with yeah. her. Yeah. Maybe Corville's yeah. most important person at all. If she yeah. had sat there worrying in Tennessee about my poor sick husband, my poor sick son, what am I going to do? Where's our paychecks coming from? What you know? Well, they didn't have paychecks. What other people thought yeah. about her? What, what, what are people going to think? I'm sure she had family members back in back from where she came from that told her, you don't want to move out there. That's a rough place. <laughs> yeah. Why would you want to go there? I'm not sure why she found Kerrville other than the, than the climate. And that at that point, um, Kerrville was being marketed as a healthy place for people with tuberculosis, tuberculosis. to come to. Very cool. Wow. Well, I was also wondering, you said you, your resume is quite varied yeah. and that you've had a lot of lot of different jobs. I also read that you were a typesetter. Yes, for the day, and yeah. I guess specifically, you know, we're here now and we're sharing stories and we're doing mm -hmm. video casts, podcasts, story yeah. casts, and then there's so many different ways to tell stories. You know, I know you're a blogger mm -hmm. and then we've even talked about like performance aspects and a little bit of art, but you know, there's so many, uh, I was just interested with some some of the interesting ways, interesting stories you came across when you were a typesetter. Oh, it's a whole well, different I wasn't. Medium. I wasn't just a typesetter. I started out at the Kerrville Daily Times in 1989 as a typesetter. Uh, my journalism teacher, uh, Fluffy Cash, was. She's um, going to be on our show. Yeah. She, she recommended me for the job, and of course, at that point, I just had high school level typing. I didn't type very well. And um, she said, you better, you better pick up on your typing because I told them you type at 180 words a minute. Oh, geez. So I was just like, That's okay, fast. well. So, and I had, I had about a year of college under my belt when I got this job. And uh, so what I would do is every day after work, I'd go home and whatever book I was reading, I'd type out of. And I got better. And wow. uh, 
So I eventually moved up into advertising and writing and advertising, and then I became the assistant lifestyle editor. So cool. I wrote a few stories. So I came across some really interesting stories from the last man. Or there was a pair of twins who played fiddle, and they were as like old as Methuselah when I met them. And one of them <laughs> said he was the last man to see a uh, Native American in Kirk County. Oh, he wow. He saw the last one was he was leaving. Um, and uh, I've heard all kinds of interesting stories. I mean, people's stories are just interesting in general. You don't know in Kerr County who you're talking to. You may look at this little old man who's sitting at a volunteer desk somewhere and not realize he designed tools for NASA. You know, yeah, or, so true. You know, he trained astronauts what to look for on the moon. You don't know talking to this weird German guy that he is actually a Hollywood script writer and wrote some of the Anaconda movies. You know, there, there are these people here in this town. Uh, we have a lot of local color too, but you don't know where these people, you know, what they did before they came here. And you can't just judge them on the surface uh, on their abilities. You may see this little old lady and think, she doesn't know anything, but she may have, you know, er earned her living writing grants and bringing in millions of dollars to various organizations. Yeah. So there are, there are some people, uh, yes, they're retired, but that doesn't mean they don't, you know, they don't know what they're talking about when they're talking to you, and yeah. they're not worth your respect. I think that the inter I, intergenerational learning is really valuable mm. to a, a community, and one of the things that's really interesting about Kerrville is so many people do volunteer. Right. You know. It's a blessing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I wouldn't have my job if it weren't for volunteers. The mm -hmm. place where I work now was formed completely out of volunteer work, wow. and they ran that center for seven years uh, without any paid employees, and I was their second full-time employee there Wow. Uh, when they finally decided well the retirees can't do every I mean we we can't do it all through volunteer work we're gonna have to pay somebody to do some work here <laughs> yeah so, <laughs> still at all yeah. <laughs> um, that's a good idea mm -hmm. it's a good idea yeah. uh, so what but I know we asked you about interesting women in Kerrville and I kind of wanted to circle back about like the importance of storytelling but do you have a favorite medium uh, for storytelling, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, as far as a consumer, or as as when consumer. I'm as a yeah, consumer, as a consumer, yeah. I have really gotten into podcasts. For a long time, I was listening yeah. to audio books because I like to hear that. Yeah, yeah. I um, I for a long time I I read books, but then you can't do work while you're listening to a book. This is so, the, uh, true. so It's the genius of podcasts. You can do two things right. at once. Yeah. And so you can learn about something. Uh, I really enjoy YouTube because I'm learning new skills through there. You go, okay, so how do I change out this bathroom faucet? And instead of going and asking my husband, who's going to go, oh, there she is with another project, I can go figure out how to do it myself and just do it. Yeah. You know, instead that. of waiting for somebody else to take care of it for me, I'm just going to do it myself. There you go. Especially if somebody says, you can't do this, I'm probably going to end up doing it. That's why or at I least trying. Yeah, that's what I love about like YouTube. Um, and mm -hmm. I think I told this to a customer, I'm a barista here at Pie and Plow, and um, that's my that's my day job. And um, I think I told one of my customers because I can do like latte art, and oh, he's just nice. like, "How did you figure out how to do that?" I'm like, YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Literally hours and hours yeah. of watching YouTube videos and watching different um, baristas all over the world, just like how to do this art. He's like, Good for you. Yeah. yeah, and he's like, are you serious? And I'm like, yeah. And then I'm like, I'm, I remember, I'm part of the YouTube generation. Yeah. This is what I do. Right. <laughs> it's like, I look up on YouTube and learn right. all kinds of things. It's like, 
She's and, elevating yeah. the barista experience. Yes, she is. And, and bonus points to her because sure. <laughs> I'm sure barista is not what you plan on doing with the rest of your life. I mean, I see you doing this great podcast project and everything. Yeah. But even though you're here at a job that you may not necessarily feel you're going to need these kind skills, of a launching pad, you're yeah. still going the extra mile and learning how to make it a special thing that you're doing. Yeah. And, and I think that's Thank an you. important thing. People get so wrapped up in don't like my job. I'm miserable here. Then, you know, I don't yeah. have any close friends here. Just do That's, the best that you can. And then yeah. when you find the new opportunity or be open to opportunities, exactly. you're focused on how miserable you are. You're not seeing what's going on over here. Yeah. And I think it, there was a customer that came in here a few like months ago or whatever. And he was just like, why are you still here? Like, you should like you have so much potential. You can go off and do whatever the heck you want, and da 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 da. And I'm explaining you a little. And he's he was an older gentleman, and I was just like, mm-hmm. I absolutely love my job. There's like yeah, there's aspects of it that are frustrating and all of that, and I. But it's like the best space for me because a I get to talk to people that are mm-hmm. like. I get, get to, to hear see, stories and help I, yeah, tell stories. Exactly. I get to see them every, I, most of these people, I see them every single day or once a week because they're all, most of them are all regulars. And um, so I guess get to create these like relationships with people that I would never have been able to in a different yeah. setting. And I, I think really it's because of my job here at Pineapple has been able to open up so many opportunities right. like Story Garden and also the project I'm doing with Doyle and this right. and, like I would never have met Catherine if I didn't work that's here, true. you know, and that's like no, my, you, yeah, yeah, you found the joy in your job. It, yeah. Even, yeah. And, and, uh, I don't think the man was so much mansplaining you. He was com- complimenting you. Yeah. yeah. He saw your abilities, but yeah, but he's also responding to the joy he's seeing in you as well. He's like, right. Oh, you could be doing anything you want. Yeah. Right. Well, this is what you want to do right now. Yeah. So right. And that, was, thing. and that was like the biggest thing is like when I, so like I graduated from Baylor, which is, you know, that's pretty cool, I guess. Yeah, and, it, is. Um, it is. It's a great school. It's, it's a great school. Um, so I graduated from Baylor in 2020. Baylor Bear. Yeah, yeah. And that was literally the best time to not graduate from college, to graduate from college and um, just because of the pandemic and everything. But so many people, when I, they found out I, was, I graduated from Baylor, they're just like, oh, so what are you going to do now? And I'm like, what would you like me to do in the middle of a yeah. pandemic? I can't really no. do anything. And I think that's what a lot of people, I, I've worked with a number of college graduates who automatically think they need that manager's job coming straight out or you know whatever your degree is in. Um, but I've learned you've got to earn your chops through a job and prove yourself as an employee before you're really handed the big stuff. Yeah, and it's not it's not just about the education you got in school, but it's also the education you've gotten in life that makes you a more valuable employee. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly I have to agree. bring up an interesting point about yeah, that yeah. Um, because I just read a statistic about this that um, women are more likely to be given jobs based on their past experience, mm-hmm. but men are actually more likely to be given a job based on their potential. And it plays into all sorts yeah, of things about true. the wage gap, the income disparity. Wait, really? Yeah. And so, uh, that's dumb. Sorry. when you start off at different rates, you're not given the mm-hmm. manager position right away. And then how do you get that first job? And just, mm-hmm. it's the barrier from the very beginning. Right. And I know we wanted to ask you about like what advice you had for 
women in careers or mm -hmm. any stories you wanted to share about you know how to navigate that being a woman in business and woman in nonprofits yeah well um, be flexible um, don't be too stiff in your expectations um, people People don't always give you what you want right away. And I've been dismissed on things. When I saw something, I was like, oh, we really need to do this. And when I, the, particularly when I worked at the Arts and Cultural Center the first time around, I've been there twice. There was a little break in the middle there. When I was there as the manager and I was, you know, late 20s, early 30s, and not taken very seriously because I didn't have gray hair like everyone else. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I got a lot of pats on the head and I kept saying, this fundraiser that we have every year could be so much better if we did X, Y, and Z. Look at the trends in the, in the, and they weren't ready to hear it. Well, I've been at it now for a long time and now people are hearing me, you know? Yeah. Um, just because they're not hearing you now, and I'm telling you, that was back in 2000. Before me too. Eight. <laughs> yeah, 2009, you know, you, you kind of have to keep singing your song and believe in what, if you believe in what you believe and you have stuff to back it up and it's not just because it's a gut, you know, don't react from the gut all the time. Um, if you just kind of wait people out, sometimes they'll come to your way of thinking, especially if you find gentler ways of pointing it out because I see a lot of attitude from people, you know, I've been telling them for years. They need to do it this way. And they don't, it's, that's not, that's not how you win people over. And I, I'm seeing it a lot in our society now too. You don't win people over by yelling at them and calling them names. If you believe yeah. something differently or if you believe something should be done differently, winning it, you've got to win them over to your side. You know, you Through can't bully, yeah, you can't bully them into what you, and don't be so hard headed. Be open to their side too. Because there may be a reason, oh, we've tried that before, and this is what happened. Yeah. So, you know, that sort of thing. Because a lot of times these people have a lot more experience at something than you do. Um, but I'm also, you know, one of the things is just to stay flexible. Because if I had gone in to the job I have now saying, I'm executive director, so I direct everybody else to doing things, then the lights would never get adjusted where I work. The toilets wouldn't get unplugged, you know. The, the crazy people that come in day to day, we get, we get everybody from people who are just wandering in to get in out of the air conditioning because they live outside most of the time to you know the very refined, uh, straight-laced people that come in. Um, you've got to be able to get along with a lot of different people in order to go far in life, I believe, because um, shutting yourself off from somebody because they look different or they might uh, believe differently from you, whether it's religion, politics, whatever. Shutting them out shuts you out of, a, of an experience and a learning experience as well. And I see this going on so much on so many different levels right now. Um, and I get along with a number of very different types of people. And I think that's what, because I relate to so many different people, and I understand where a lot of people are coming from. If I don't agree with them, I can still under, understand what their motivations are. That allows me to do my job better and network and fundraise and do these things because I have to stay open to all sorts of different kinds of people. Yeah. And you know, if I judged the woman that comes in looking like one of the people who live on the street, 
and treated her differently than anyone else that came in, I'd lose out on a big art sale because that lady happened to buy five paintings that day. Mm. And she just loved art and she was happy where she was and she enjoyed visiting with the people there and had a good experience and bought a bunch of paintings. When so and came I think back it, later. It's yeah. really interesting yeah. you said, you know, that kind of old way of like it's my way, the highway or top down yeah. way of doing business is kind of over. Right. You know, and I do think that like an approach that's a little more I can't pronounce it, egalitarian. Yeah, egalitarian. Egalitarian, thank yes. you. I promise yeah. I have a college degree. <laughs> I can't talk sometimes. Uh, you know, it gets builds consensus more and yeah. You know, well, then, and that's and why women make good leaders. I've yeah, heard. well, then having like an open mind and mm -hmm. wanting to like understand other people's opinions and like just right. to formulate like what's the best possible idea. I know I try to like whenever I collaborate with somebody, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna come as a position of like a learner and let's like learn and mm -hmm. figure things out together. Like, I'm collaborating with a project right now and she, my collaborator, she has already done this project and she's kind of added me onto it. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, I want to hear, I have an idea. What's your perspective? And I'm not expecting anything out of it. I'm just like, so I can yeah. learn and see like, oh, that makes sense. Or why, what's your reasoning behind yeah. why we shouldn't do this and that and whatever. And I think that's the best way for really anybody, man or woman, to kind of build upon and be a better person, but also just be a better leader in general and right. kind of move into the world yeah, in that way. A leader knows how to delegate, but a leader also knows how to learn as well. Yeah. And that sense of humility that you've got, that'll take you farther than anything else is just being open to other people, listening to their stories. Sometimes you don't, like today, I didn't want to hear it, but I sat there and taught and listened to this lady who was driving me absolutely insane. <laughs> but um, but I got some good out of it, and yeah. we may have a really strong exhibit coming out of it, even though you know I was in the middle of five other things. Being willing to roll with it and be open and and just see you know where the, this thing's going, and if and you can always say no, thank you. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> it's really also important to know yeah. how to say no, um, and so that took me a long time to learn. Yeah. yeah. You know. Uh, so tell us a little bit about Legends and Lore. Okay, well, um, a lot of people were coming into the Art Center. I, I'm a history, local history geek. Um, I have some performance in my back, you know, performance experience in my background. And day after day, people who are coming to visit Kerrville were asking, what is there to do in this town? And how do I learn about how this town became what it is? And we have a museum that's coming eventually but it's going to take some time yeah and so I saw there was a need for people to learn about Kerrville um, and be available to do that and you know of course I I uh, started doing the tours right before it started getting hot and who wants to walk in Kerrville in August mm, but no. um, but there is an interest I'm getting calls all the time uh, I started learning more and more I knew quite a bit about downtown Kerrville but I wanted to learn more than what's on the, the placards, the history placards on the buildings. I wanted to learn, um, I wanted to learn about the, the people that lived downtown, the funny stories like the bear that went on a rampage downtown Kerrville. What? Or, yeah, we had a bear that got loose from a, barber, uh, a butcher shop downtown, had a pet bear, and he got loose. And he ran around downtown and scared 
everybody. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't blame what kind the of people. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm not sure. Hopefully I, not a grizzly. My, my hope is that it was a black bear. Um, okay. I don't think it, it didn't attack anyone, but it, it was, get the bear did a, not come to a good end. Got everybody Poor bear. Scared. Yeah. On the way to Baylor. Yeah, he was. <laughs> well, he so it's a tour that people can take. It's a tour people can take. It's a guided walking tour. Uh, I'll take them downtown, tell them some of the interesting stories about some of the things that happened downtown. I've busted some of the legends about downtown and found out the real story behind them. Um, telling some some stories, connections that certain people downtown, like um, a man who ran a hotel his connection to um, a well-known massacre that happened in the west part of the county, how he was connected to that and how he became the first witness on the scene after it happened. Um, it's, and like I said, Kerrville was not a genteel town in the early days. So there's some pretty rough stories that come from that. And I think that also explains some of the ghost stories we get. But the tunnel. Yeah, the tunnels down under under uh, yeah, Captain uh, Schreiner built. Oh, I've seen those. Yeah. They're cool. Yeah. Kind of frightening, but they're cool. Yeah. Um, if you've seen one, you're a lucky person because not many people have. A lot of them are just blocked off. Yeah. So, so they can call KACC. Yeah, and call KACC and schedule. During um, October, I'll have some scheduled ones. Uh, for the Halloween season. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to have a big Halloween party the week of Halloween. Nice. Uh, so there's going to be all sorts of fun stuff, including. I will definitely come and uh, check it out. A witch's flat flash mob. Actually, you'd be awesome in a minute. Oh, my God. I, I loved you as a witch on, on stage. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's the first time I ever saw you anywhere was as that wicked witch. Yes. And that was a crazy character. I loved it. Well, we'll definitely come out and <laughs> yeah. support. Yeah. Well, thank you That's so awesome. much. Yeah, it's been a so pleasure. Much. Yeah, thanks. It's been a joy talking. I've revealed a lot of stuff I don't normally talk about. So. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, and nice. it just meant a lot to us being your our first guest, someone that knew so much about the history of our community and yeah, feels so yeah. importantly about you know caring those traditions on. Yeah, yeah. And, and learning about Kerrville's history has answered a lot of questions I've always had about this town. Like, why aren't there so many old buildings? And why do we not have a courthouse square and that sort of thing? Those are all answered in my tour, by the way. <laughs> uh, but there, there's Just people asking why too. That yeah. Was something that once I became rooted and invested in living here, you know, I wanted to know the history about our community, kind of standing on the shoulders of the shoulders, shoulders not <laughs> shoulders, soldiers, Sh shoulders. Th this is hard words. <laughs> I know. I'm gonna have to work on my diction as this podcast improves. <laughs> uh, You're doing great, but. Uh, learning about where we came from and stand, mm. you know, going, standing on people's shoulders. Yes. <laughs> that creating that next generation of our community. Yeah. Well, it's just been a pleasure. Thank you yeah. so yeah, much. Yeah, it's been a pleasure for me too. Yeah. And yeah. one last question is, how do you do it? Do what? How do you, how do, you do <laughs> all do you, of the things? I, my husband asked me the same thing because I'm never home. Uh, <laughs> he, I, I just stay open. I, I think that's pretty much my philosophy for living. Just stay open to possibilities. And if you if you have something in the back of your head that says you should be doing X, Y, and Z, give it a try. There's probably yeah. a reason that inspiration is in there, you know, or you've got this voice in your head saying, "Listen to that voice, not tour. the other one." Yeah. <laughs> listen Do to that the one. Yeah. Don't listen to the voices that are saying, you know, you don't look good enough. You're not good enough. You don't know enough. Just do it. Listen to that one. I yeah. like that. Thank you. Yeah. 
Thank you so much. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Well, that is our first. It's a wrap. That's a wrap. That's our first show. It was super fun. Super fun. And uh, hope to see you next time. Yes. Bye, everybody. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. Join us again every Wednesday for a new episode of How We Do It. Find us on Story Garden Co. for more exclusive content. Also, a big thank you to the Kerr County Lead for producing the show and for Pike and Plow Brewing for letting us use the space. See you next Wednesday.